ARN makes a shock bid to rival SCA. What will happen and what does it mean for the broader media landscape? Also today, marketing is dead. It sounds provocative, but could Adland guru Kevin Roberts be onto something? Telstra announces a major shakeup to its brand and marketing agency roster. And with the voice referendum now behind us, we look where it all went wrong for the yes vote and the role advertising played in the decision. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. Now, before we get started, I'm not the usual host, Michael Thompson. My name is Neil Griffiths, and I'm the new editor of Mumbrella. However, I am joined by our regular guests, Adam Lang and Sean Alma. Adam and Sean, welcome to the show. Hello, Neil. Hello, Neil. You should be delighted you're not Michael Thompson. And that is a total swipe at uh, Mickey T. Hopefully he's listening. We miss you, Michael. We do miss you. Great to have you on board, though, Neil. It's very fitting that uh, I'm coming on the show in a big way because it is a very big week, a big day for news. The biggest, of course, today. Uh, you can check the full story out on mumbrella.com.au. ARN Media, alongside private equity firm Anchorage Capital Partners, has today made a non-binding indicative offer to acquire 100% of the fully diluted share capital of Southern Cross Austeria. So in a statement today, ARN and Anchorage said the aim is to have two separate national media organizations that will compete independently of each other on metro and regional radio and more broadly. So straight off the bat, Adam, I'm going to throw to you because you'll have an interesting take on this. You've worked at SEM previously and you've also been the CEO of an ASX-listed media company operating alongside both Southern Cross and ARN. So break it down for us. What does this mean? So yes, I did work with SCA and then I competed with SCA and ARN. And so uh, look, I know the companies pretty well and their principles. I, I think this one, unsurprisingly really in business, is all about winning and it's all about growth. And you know that that's what companies want to do. So it's been a tough year for the media industry so far, particularly for traditional broadcast television and radio, and they're all trying to retool to digitization and streaming and digital audiences. So we've seen the values of SCA and ARN decrease this year on the share market. And so what does this say? Well, some time ago, we saw ARN take a a stake, 14.8% in SCA. Very interesting. You know, it's the top, that's the under 15% is really all you can buy without taking formal steps. And so ARN took this stake in a competitor, very interesting, and now we kind of see why. It is, I think, very cunning, possibly a really smart deal to do, certainly bold. So ARN have looked at SCA and said, how can we take them out and make a different company? They've essentially said, we're going to merge the two and take the bits we want and allow the rest to be free as an independent SCA. And so what will that look like? Well, the KISS network that's been so successful since Kyle and Jackie O left SCA 10 years ago, that's going to be kept by ARN. No surprise there. Interesting move next. They want to take Triple M away from SCA and bring it in to ARN. Why would they do that? Why would they swap gold for the Triple M network? Well, presumably if you're working at gold, you're saying, all right, so we're clearly not the one that they would keep, you know, and and they really want to take Triple M. Why? That's because I think they've got a really interesting broadcast portfolio of sporting rights. Triple M is really rock and sport and comedy, 
But that sport part of that DNA is a serious competitive offering, a commercial offering. They make a big investment in it and they make a good return. So I can see ARN looking at that and saying, actually, we want that one. We want KISS and Triple M. Then what's happened after that, of course, would be that the hit network stays with SCA and gold would likely move to SCA. Then you move on. Okay, what's going to happen with digital? ARN's got iHeart. SCA's got Listener. They've decided in their announcement today that they'll create a digital joint venture so that this will be housed separately. So to come back to it now, what I think it is really about is growing and winning, and they've decided that the combination of these two companies and a different distribution of the assets would allow them to grow and win better. So, Adam... I'm pleased you gave me that. I was very confused by the announcement today. I tried to get my head around what it all meant. From what I can tell, so ARN's offering about $230 million. It's about 30% premium to the, the closing share price of SCA. ARN itself is worth about $230 million. If you add debt in, there's about $100 million of debt on SCA books. So you're going to hear numbers like $330 million bid, which is about $230 million plus $100 million of debt. That's a lot more than what ARN's worth. Obviously, Anchorage Capital, the PE firm, probably has a a chunk of money there too. I think that's kind of interesting that they're offering more than what they're worth, notwithstanding they're doing it with a PE firm. I also, the response from Southern Cross Australia was cool at best. (laughs) Uh, There's no way you could say that these guys are great mates. Having said that, and you pointed this out, the top five shareholders, or sorry, the ARN owns 15% or 14.8% of SCA already. The top five shareholders together own about 51%, so that will certainly work for ARN. Then you've got all the regulatory stuff, which I'm sure you're across much better than I ever could be, Adam, in terms of how many stations you can have in geographies, what happens in the regions, etc. I just reckon there's a lot of hair on this deal up front. <laughs> That's a good description. A few challenges. Well, let's name a couple of them. The Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, has to go through it and make sure it complies with broadcast regulation in the country. You know, in metropolitan cities and other markets, you can't have more than two stations in a market. So, you know, there's a combination of stations between ARN and SCA where they would end up with more than that. So they have to split them. You know, under this announcement, ARN would get most and new SCA, if I can call it that, would get a smaller component. Of course, there's also the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. They'll need to review it to see how this impacts competition, you know, for audience, for advertisers and so on. So, you know, there there is a number of factors that have to be passed. It is complicated. And to your point beyond that, yeah, it's not an easy deal, but you could certainly understand, or I can certainly understand why IRN have made the bid. But SCA, mm, I don't know that they're going to have you know, the upper hand here. I think it's true that they won't. What do you reckon, Kyle and Jackie, I reckon at the moment? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I mean, it was only a few months ago that these two were linked back to SCA. Of course, they left there in mildly controversial circumstances back in 2013. And yeah, a few months ago, they were linked back there. I had to ask the question that now that this is all out there, Adam, was this a ploy? by SCA or or even ARN because 
they've obviously been doing fantastic numbers. They're back at number one in the, in the latest radio ratings. Again, you can check that out on umbrella.com.au. But they're linked back. Now this deal's been pitched. Was it a real deal on the table? Oh, look, I think the pitch by SCA for Carl and Jackie O would be real. Like if I was there, I would have made it. The fact is that they are demonstrated now over decades to be number one, right? And so Sydney has voted Kyle and Jackie O number one in music or overall radio for the last 20 years. And so they want to do another 10, so it seems. And you can see that they could absolutely achieve that. And if you believe that and you're running SCA, you'd want them back and ARN would want to keep them. So I think that the deal from or the offer from SCA is likely to be to be completely real. We'll never know until the formal announcement happens. But, yeah, I, absolutely, I would back it. The last time a deal like this was done in Sydney Entertainment was Buddy Franklin with your Sydney Swans, Adam. Ten-year deal. <laughs> Worked out pretty well, didn't it? Or, or Alan Jones defecting from 2UE to 2GB mm. in 2002. No, no, but was Buddy, Buddy was more recent than that, wasn't he? <laughs> And just as important. Just as important. Um, so, you know, with Kyle and Jackie, I think absolutely they're real. And you, you can consider that $200 million valuation alongside the valuations of the total companies that Sean has just described, right? You go, oh, my, they're, they're worth so much because the total companies are worth this much, right? So you look at the importance of Kyle and Jackie, and you'd have to note too, I think they'd feel incredible about it. Whichever company has had them in music radio and then in all radio has been number one for about the last 20 years, right? So this is incredible. And they have really been pivotal in the market of Sydney and the Sydney market is so big, that's been pivotal to the value of each company. And just before we move on, obviously in the ASX listing that went out on Wednesday morning, one thing that wasn't in there was a timeline for this. So I guess the last question on this, Adam, would be when would you expect this proposed offer to go through? So the regulatory process will take some time. I'd expect months, not weeks, and certainly not days. And then I would also just briefly describe the impact here. If you're an advertiser with your campaigns on each network, you'll be wondering about, hey, who am I going to be talking to to execute those campaigns as they go on in the future? You know, if you're working at either one of these companies, you know, you'll be feeling concerned, uh, particularly if you're at SCA and, and this is the bold announcement from ARN, what's my role in this? What's the future look like? And one of the great battles for both companies, but probably mostly SCA, is keeping everyone focused. You know, you've still got to generate an audience every day. You've still got to activate, sell and execute campaigns every day. You've still got to run a profitable company every day. And so really maintaining that focus amongst this distraction will be a really big challenge for everyone involved. Well, stay tuned to mumbrella.com.au for more details as they come on the situation. We'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to the show. As I mentioned at the top, Michael Thompson is not here. My name's Neil Griffiths. I'm the editor of mumbrella.com.au. But I feel like we have to pay homage to Michael, Adam and Sean. So in doing that, we're going to do your regular segment, which is go through some of the top stories of the week. Well, I thought you were talking about whinging. <laughs> we were going to start whinging about something. I mean, I can do that. That's homage to Michael. Is it, is it too early for me to get in on the, on the, on the ribs with Michael? Nah, no, nah, go for it. 
And and if you're tired of Michael, feel free open fire on Adam. That's what we tend to do. I'll start friendly just for this week. Righto. I'll come in hot next week. Look, I'll I'll, I'll kick things off with a story that uh, actually only happened on Tuesday afternoon. It was a very quiet announce. It came in late Tuesday. So Telstra announces a major shakeup to the brand and marketing agency roster. Again, this one was written by myself. I, I really don't enjoy saying that I wrote this, but I did. Um, it came through again very late on on Tuesday. So basically, Telstra announced that it was cutting ties with the Monkeys, Chep, and the DDB in favor of a new partnership called Plus 61 alongside its existing media agency, OMD, an independent creative studio, Bear Meets Eagle on Fire, and TBWA. Telstra's chief marketing officer, Brent Smart, said, quote, this partnership will give us the best of both worlds, an independent creative agency powered by a network agency. So straight off the bat, guys, what do we think about this announcement? Well, no, I, I'm going to jump I'm going to jump in here, right? Bear Meets Eagle on Fire should <laughs> join our list of ridiculous names of ad agencies. We wrote a story about a week ago. It is the best read story we've had in the last 10 days. I think, was it Ridiculous Ad Agencies? I think that's what it was called. And I'm afraid that Bear Meets Eagle on Fire didn't make it. Can you imagine what the ones that did make it, if that's the case? <laughs> well, it was, it was new to my eyes, I suppose, when I saw it. I actually thought it might have been a, a band, perhaps, yeah. that Telstra had inquired. Yeah. But no, that, that is the name. Bear Meets Eagle on Fire. It's kind of got a little bit of a Canada <laughs> wilderness feel to it, doesn't it, really? <laughs> For a North American. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I'm digressing here. Adam, what do you reckon of the deal? So, well, Brent Smart has been there, what, since September? So not, well, it's a year now. And he has had an incredibly successful career on both sides of the marketing and brand fence. He's been with Telstra. Now he's at IAG before. So he's been, you know, a, a serial performer in different companies. So you can see why he's got all the expertise he would need to execute this decision. I think what he's looked at and gone, you know what? I reckon I can do this differently and do it better. And so, you know, with great respect to the companies that he has worked with, this is about assigning a new team under Telstra to execute Telstra's vision, its brand and its marketing vision. So I think it's terrific. Uh, I'd be really keen to see what work this group comes up with. If you look at some of the work done at IAG, including NRMA's brand campaign in the last year, there's some really bold and interesting work and for Telstra indeed too. So I think this is uh, is one to watch, and I think it's a great market leading position to take for Telstra. Now, can I ask you how often do big accounts like Telstra come about? Can't be happen happen too often, can it? I mean, in, in my experience, this this was a very rare one to come through. Again, I mentioned it was very late on Tuesday. It felt very, you know, calculated in the way that it came through at the time that it did. But the the accounts that they've they've kind of part away with the monkeys in particular. Um, if you head to the Mumbrella website, they've done so many campaigns, not only with Telstra, but other major names. This felt like quite a big deal when it did come through. And I mean, so Telstra would be one of the big government agencies would be big. Telstra, I mean, Toyota was always the big one. What are the other, this is McDonald's, I presume. So Telstra would be amongst those really big guys, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and the interesting note is that it did come after a very thorough review. And as I mentioned, Telstra have worked very closely with these agencies for a very long time. So it does feel very calculated, the fact that Telstra have decided to bring this in-house. I mean, it does speak volumes about what to expect and what the industry is like currently. 
Mm, interesting. All right. Well, Adam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw back to you for the next story. What did you spot on the Mumbrella website that caught your eye this week? I loved Lauren McNamara's article, the interview with Kevin Roberts. So an incredibly experienced international executive in advertising who pronounced marketing is dead. Okay, I'm going to read that one. The quotes that it kicks off with, really interesting. Roberts argues marketing has been replaced by creating and the role of the marketer is no longer to build a brand but to create a movement. The key is curiosity and we need brands to have that ingredient. So what he's saying is the CMO title, the Chief Marketing Officer title is dead. It is no longer just sufficient to do marketing. He's noted that in other companies that the marketing function has gone to chief creative officer. Look at Coles, Lisa Ronson leading a CMO, chief customer officer being appointed. So a change in in how that role plays within each company. And what Kevin Roberts is saying is the key is curiosity and we need brands to have that ingredient. So this is going beyond marketing to every touch point that a brand has with its constituents. I thought, okay, that's an interesting take. Marketing is dead. What did you think, Neil? Look, I don't want to spoil my first episode using curse words, but the very last line of that article, Kevin essentially says that the roles, the CMO role is a waste of time. Consumers don't care. They want, to his words, they want magic. A very colorful language. Again, if you look at the Mumbrella website, you can see the full article. Um, but yeah, some choice words there from Kevin. Uh, what I think is interesting, social, one thing social media has done is create this magnificent genre of marketing. So the old days of free-to-air and print and audio, not that, I mean, they're still there, but some of the creativity you get online is truly remarkable. Now, sometimes it's creative. Sometimes it's just Taylor Swift saying, come and see my movie, and she ends up with 95 million people turning up on the first weekend, right? <laughs> that's, but, I mean, that's just the influence of part, I suppose. But I kind of get what Kevin Roberts is saying because marketing now is nothing like it was 10 years ago. And I'm sure many, I mean, whatever the title is, the title is, but I'm sure the great agencies and the great marketers are all doing incredibly creative things compared to what they were doing two or three years ago, to be honest. I mean, pre-COVID, I bet they're doing really creative stuff now compared to then, let alone 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, to to wrap things up for the day, before we go, Sean, we're handing the baton over to you. Mm. What caught your eye on the Mumbrella website this week? Well, uh, look, it was an opinion piece from Pollinate CEO Howard Parry Husbands. And basically, it was all about the reason the Yes campaign failed. And I quote, the brutal truth is that the Yes campaign never had a chance without a strong evidence-based strategy. It was all heat and no light. And in the shadows of our fears, the no campaign's persistent whispers flourished. Very colourful. Basically, his argument was that there's no strategy. Well, I think that's a bit rough. I'm sure they had a strategy. It clearly didn't work. And at the end of the day, the yes case failed because it just couldn't make a case for change. Now, where the marketing genius was to me is the no case creating confusion for the yes case. So when you talk to people, there are people saying, well, why would we ever favour one group over another? Why would we ever favour Indigenous over other migrants? Another group would say, aren't we all Australians? Someone else would say, how much power would First Nations people have? Could they change Australia Day? So much confusion and all that, right? People genuinely believe that. Now, quite apart from whether you personally believe that or not, 
that confusion was created by the No campaign and it was genius. It was really well done, particularly when the Yes campaign was probably pushing it uphill to begin with because they didn't have bipartisan support. So in all that confusion, we ended up with two-thirds no or about 60% no, 40% yes. The result of it I think is interesting. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has already talked about uh, truth in political advertising and perhaps looking into that. I think it is needed because I, I think some of the misinformation that was spread throughout the referendum and really in the past couple of years more generally, and this is like a Donald Trump period, I suppose, it's pretty appalling. And again, I'm not saying yes or no in terms of the referendum, but some of the comments that came out were just untrue. And I think something does need to be done about that. Howard Parry Husband's opinion piece on mumbrella.com.au is great, but at the end of the day, it's a bit rough to say there was no strategy. Is there something to say when we talk about all that confusion and misinformation that the messaging was a little bit off by the yes campaign? When we talk about the no campaign, for example, things like if you don't know, vote no. Yeah. That seemed to resonate with people far more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the point about the yes campaign was always pushing it uphill. It's hard to have people vote for change. We know that in the workplace and know that with my kids, right? Why change? Why turn the TV channel over when you're enjoying <laughs> what you're watching? It, it, it is very difficult to create a movement for change. And I mean, they now had a far less smaller budget, but they had some pretty high profile advocates and they just had to create the confusion. And they did that really, really well, you know, to their credit. And the yes, guys, I just don't think stood a chance. I don't know that, that, well, clearly they didn't make the case well enough because Australians voted against it. And the further it got, the more they tried to simplify it. But uh, yeah, it didn't work. That's the bottom line. So we talked about this on the Umbrella cast last week, and obviously that was ahead of the, the actual vote. But I would just note again, as we did then, that the first challenge was that this was not a bipartisan campaign. And so when you have this being contested in the political arena, it's difficult. Then you're trying to advocate a case for change, as Sean has said, and that has to be really clear and sensible and I guess it has to connect with people. And the no campaign did that and the yes campaign didn't. I'm not as bleak on the campaign, the yes campaign, as perhaps that article is because I really do take into account the difficulties they had from the word go and I think they probably did move the dial. You know, you saw in the very beginning of polling that people were 60% for, you saw that drop away and you saw at the very end when the campaigning was most active that some of the vote was swaying back towards yes, so some of it worked. But it is clear that it didn't overall work. I think there are a number of challenges with this right from it not being politically bipartisan through to the campaigning itself that, that fed into this decision. So, I think it's a great article, a very provocative view and a good one, but one that I, I look at a little bit differently. Yeah, again, if you want to read it in full, head to mumbrella.com.au. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And thank you from me to Adam and Sean for helping me through my first episode. I appreciate the help, guys. <laughs> You're very welcome, Neil. Oh, you'll be you'll be invited back. No problems at all. I think Michael's lost his job. You're up, Neil. Well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a call and see what he says. But thank you so much again. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info we've talked about today. I'm Neil Griffiths. Thanks so much for your company and we'll see you next time.